welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. Something to shoot. And, no, but I'll, I'll get off well, the no, subject I think that, No, but I don't think you need to. I don't think you should because I think I think the other piece, because you, you, you're touching on a really important piece okay. here around. You but know, I do want to get to talking of, about good adult services. That's what we said we we're going to do. Okay. So. <laughs> we are, and, and this, this could relate. This could relate because we're, we're talking about that, that, you know, I think a phrase a lot of folks use is that kind of therapeutic alliance, you know, is, is, is a term I've, I've heard used to sort of describe the relationship you have with, you know, the, the, the person who's providing you supports, whether they be. I, I haven't heard that, but I like or. the term. That sounds like a positive yeah, term. Yeah, and, and so. No, and I think it comes more out of, um, you know, kind of counseling kind of uh, literature and that sort of thing, you know, uh, and those sorts of pieces. Yeah. And what we're seeing right now is a, is a big push for and uh, for what folks are calling, you know, right these days, compassionate care um, in our field anyway, um, uh, uh, compassionate ABA and so on and so forth, which which, you know, while I don't think is a bad thing. Um, it, it does give me pause and sort of make me giggle in a negative kind of way because we're, you know, we're, we're 70 years into our field and just realizing that maybe we need to have a good relationship with the folks we're supporting and, and maybe a little bit of research on that. Um, and it's great to see it. I'm, I'm happy that we're doing that, but, but, but it's, it, it's also ridiculous that we're doing, that we have to do that. Uh, and that our that our that our that our programs don't include any training yep. on sort of you know how to how how to get along with folks beyond as as you reference pairing you know beyond sort of you know being the person that provides access to these reinforcers um, um, you know and uh, but and you're really, lagging not, behind that, a whole not, bunch of other fields with that you know yes oh absolutely yeah yeah so I think so I think uh, you know um, Regardless of whether we're talking about quality adult care, quality child care, quality animal care, quality medical care, whatever, um, that therapeutic alliance, that relationship piece will always be the most powerful piece um, and, and will yeah. always be the piece that pushes things, things forward. It'll never be the data. It'll never be the techno technological procedures. It'll never be you know, so on the social validity measure or whatever, you know, it's going to be that, that, that connection. Um, and, and so, you know, I think, you know, that, you know, we're going to get it. We're going to, right now we're going to get into good adult, adult care, but I think that's gotta be the key piece across mm -hmm. the board, whether you're a group home staff, an ABA provider, you know, a volunteer, you know, a, a community, you know, assistance person or whatever you want to call yeah. yourself. Um, you know, it, you know, if you can't build that positive relationship, you know, no matter, no, no amount of, uh, you know, technical skill is going to get you anywhere. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Um, you know, the general autistic beef with ABA isn't that you take data, right? Um, it isn't, yeah. um, you know, a, a lot of it is not based really at all in core principles. Um, there's plenty of us yeah. that go back and look at what Skinner actually had to say and what he was recommending, uh, which I would mm -hmm. generally, you know, to me, it sounds a lot more like a Montessori experience 
um, of mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. letting letting the person guide you in their learning path, and you being um, you being along for that journey and doing your best mm-hmm. to support natural reinforcement is a lot of what I read in Skinner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly mm-hmm. not a, a Skinner expert, but that doesn't like that sounds very benign and and positive to me. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see any of that reflected in um, post Lovas, aside from you know some of the shifts that are happening well, the last two three years. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't recognize Skinner and Lovas. I can't recognize Skinner in the general uh, what it, what has been codified as the dogmatic approach of how ABA inter- interacts with autistic people. Um, so it's not it's not the mm-hmm. data taking. It's not you know I don't want to overgeneralize, but it's largely not the core principles. It's about the treatment. It is about the individual person's experience um, and whether they're heard mm-hmm. or not. And mm-hmm. you know that is that is one of the things that um, I I think I think what would really help a lot of ABA folks out there is. Uh, if before they started working with children, um, they were starting off working with unconserved adults and forced, um, you know, again, by organizational culture, by people holding them accountable, forced to actually work within the bounds of consent that that person has the legal right to have. Um, and I think that that would go a long way into better equipping this whole, you know, growing surge in credential BCBAs out there to, to do a better job with kids is being mm-hmm. like being forced from the outset to actually respect consent and assent uh, and to know how to deliver, how to work with the person, how not to seize power from the person and yet still be that valued resource to them on their terms to support their learning journey, whatever that looks like. Oh, I think that's that's so true. I mean, the the obvious barrier here, which is a sad one, um, is financial because all the funding, you know, is directed to the folks to work with the little kids. You know, they're you know, and so you've I think you've got to be willing to kind of get into this field, and you know, I, I think that this is a really good point because I think a lot of a lot of folks are told, you know, at least what I was told when I went for my master's degree was that, you know, uh, I, I, I came I came out of the group home management and that's where mm-hmm. I, and that's how I applied. I was told by my my academic supervisor, go back and work with little kids for a year as a RBT or whatever equivalent um, um, uh, for a year, and then reapply, and you're much more likely to get in which I thought was so interesting that it's important to work with little kids first before getting in this field where I think it should be the opposite. Go back and work for a year in a group home, you know, with, with, as you said, you know, adults, you know, with adult, adults, autistic adults and, um, you know, and get that perspective um, and then come back to us and, and, and start working in early intervention. So you can sort of see what you're, what you're working towards and what, you know, you know, the skills you're teaching, you know, are needed and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think that's a really important point. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to recommend go work at group home, though, because hopefully we're getting out of group homes. And fair yeah, enough. Yeah, but, fair enough. Yeah. But yes, go work for adults. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. and but the, but the key part of that 
is um, go work for adults in a setting where you are held accountable to mm. respect the rights of that adult. Because if you're just treating adults like kids, which unfortunately right. happens plenty of times in adult services, you're not going to get that experience. Yeah, that's true. Maybe not a group home, yeah, because that's probably where that's, that experience is going to be more likely to occur. I think you're right. I, I don't yeah, know. I it could be everywhere. Um, you know, yeah, I fully yeah. believe there are great staff at great group homes out there. Um, and I don't, I don't want to mm. say or imply otherwise, but um, mm. the the model is less supportive than that. Well, now that we're an hour into this, let's 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 talk about what we intended to talk about. And I think this, but I think we've laid a really good foundation in terms of some really important pieces. Um, and also, I think you know, for folks to kind of um, you know uh, have some respect for kind of what you're saying, it's nice to have your background and 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 know that where you're coming from is. Is is totally one of lived experience, but also of, you know, you're 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 in a unique position to have, you know, with your with with your role to have, you know, a good eye on the perspectives of a lot of adults that are in care, and and and, and the direct perspective, not sort of the parent perspective or the staff perspective, but their own. So what what, and and, and we're we're talking, you know, we're talking a lot to folks that are kind of in that are behavior analysts, but we're also talking to parents, we're talking to other autistics, um, and we're talking to folks from other professions here. Um, what are we looking for? Or I guess, what, what's the problem? What, what are our problems with sort of maybe adult care? Um, and, 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 and kind of how can we do better? You know, and I know it's a big question, but uh, that, that's kind of what we're talking about next year. Yeah, um, you know, for me, when I look at it, the core issue that uh, kind of defines poor uh, adult services, unfulfilling adult services, services that do not mm-hmm. lead to good quality of life experiences for the people that are receiving them versus good and positive and fulfilling experience and growth. And the person really feeling like, you know, they have they have the good life that they wanted. Um, I think the difference, the key difference between those things is how well uh, the organization and the individual staff understand how to provide support without taking away autonomy. And mm. um, and, and that is that is really challenging for a whole lot of people. Um, and it is certainly something professionally gets ingrained, um, not just ABA, but I would certainly argue ABA is included in this, but a lot of professions, mm-hmm. um, you know, give you a whole bunch that you have to unlearn to be effective at that. Um, mm. You know, unfortunately, it's, it's my experience that um, for the folks we hire uh, and you know, I do live in America, um, and you know, Ben, you've probably heard a thing or two about our healthcare system. Um, you know, the the reimbursement rate of what we are paid to provide services in most of our services is really, really, really low, uh, and as a result, mm-hmm. that uh, has has really negative effects on uh, what we can what we can pay staff 
Um, mm. We we have great workers, um, but people aren't getting into this job because because of paycheck. They're getting in this job for uh, personal involvement. They have skin in the game in some way in most cases. Um, mm. But but you know, so we're we're not getting trained people. We're not getting people with degrees that do the brunt of our work. Um, a lot of times we're getting people whose last job was working in another entry level position, maybe in fast food, maybe you know, yeah. maybe work in retail. Um, and and I would say that we have a much better track record of starting from scratch with people with no experience and instilling the mindset to go provide good effective care with people with no experience than the amount of unlearning we have to do with people coming in with human services degrees um, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. therapy backgrounds. Um, yes. And that's a problem that needs to be addressed. There's no reason why um, the professionals should have a more regressive philosophy than people coming in cold right off the street wanting to you know, wanting to get in, in most cases, getting into a, a career that they find more emotionally fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no staffing. I mean, I mean, I think, and this is the this is the reality on so many levels of adult services. Is you know, funding is 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 our big or one of our biggest barriers. Yep. But it's not just funding; it's also it's also the um, the 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 kind of the, 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 the legacy staff sort of perspective as well about sort of, you know, I've been doing it. Yeah. I was doing it this way 30 years ago. I've been in this company for 30 years. 30 years ago, this is how we did things. I'm not changing my ways, you know, and so that seems to be another really tough one, especially for, I think, for our ABA practitioners trying to go into these these places. They'll get the really keen, young, new staff that want to, you know, you know, uh, uh, go for change and offer, yeah. you know, really quality, good quality of life kind of interventions. But then you've got the folks that have the power, you know, in there that have been there a lot longer. They're like, no, 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 we're doing it this way. And this is the way we've always done it. Well, um, you may be interested to know that I um, actually have the, the secret to solving that staff problem, um, especially <laughs> the lack of staff. Yeah. So one thing that is really crucial to understand um, and understand and then be motivated to tear down is the built-in inequity um, that exists in disability services where the entire, the entire field, um, the, the entire apparatus of disability services, starting from the governmental level down to the organizational level, to the individual management level, to the line level. It is a system built, purpose-built, to provide services and support to disabled people. And almost none of the people in leadership, employment, and management from the top down actually have disabilities. And certainly intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, They, we, and, um, do, do I need to point out the obvious that maybe this applies to the ABA world as well? Um, and and so one of, you know, you, you want to address staffing issues and you want to address um, getting your staff coming in with a better perspective 
and a better position to provide that support while respecting rights and autonomy. Um, the the answer is staring you straight in the face. Uh, and mm-hmm. that answer is take this group of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities uh, that are horrendously discriminated against in employment, um, most of which, you know, 75% unemployment rates, and that's only drawing from the population of people that haven't given up yet and are still saying they're very interested in work, um, mm-hmm. and, and employ them. Rework your organization to make it an accommodating place for disability. And you are going to get better staff. Um, it's, you know, I can't snap my fingers at our organization and change and change the pay rate. Um, you know, anybody who's dependent on government funding or insurance funding, et cetera, et cetera, um, you're not in charge of what you get paid to provide the service. So unfortunately, you can't change that. Um, even though I know most of you want to. Um, most of you would want to yeah. pay pay the people that work for you more. Um, but, so you can't change that. Um, but what you can change is bringing in people that have historically been discriminated against and not had access to the field that have the knowledge you must get within your organization um, that understand how to provide support for somebody while not trampling all over their right to have an input and guide how, who, what, when, where, and why the services performed, where they want support, and where is hands-off to provide support in their life. All of these things that take a lot of investment into bringing the person off the street up to speed and doing it well, and whereas it is simply lived experience for a lot of the disabled population, they understand Mm -hmm. how to provide that because they know um, the difference in their own lives between when somebody is doing that and know full well how agonizing and awful it is when people simply are not respecting that. So that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the easy solution. Stop being ableist. Um, Start bringing the right people that deserve to be in this field in a critical mass. Bring them in the door, and you're going to have better organizations. And not just the one sort of token person either, which I think we're seeing agencies start to do now, you know, where they, where they, where they have the one individual that they've hired. Yeah. We hired Billy with, you know, who has, you know, who has an intellectual disability yep. and Billy works in the mailroom. Yeah. Billy's you know? our mascot. Uh, and so, and yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah exactly. We don't, you know, we don't ask think... Billy for any input. He does not guide our organization. He is not employed in a way that is aligned with our organizational mission. Um, but you better believe that whenever we have to put out a marketing publication, you know where Billy is? He's right in front of the picture. That's the yes. only time uh, we see or hear from Billy. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's there's nuance to that conversation. Um, you know, I, I, I want to acknowledge that it is not just as cut and dried as that because 
we have a whole bunch of organizations out there that do not have people, disabled people, openly working. And I and I make the distinction because of, of openly, because in this 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 field we work in, there's a whole bunch of people like me that uh, are motivated to get into this field and do the work because of our personal connection. Um, you know, um, one, I, I, you know, when I was working my past careers in finance and, you know, I mentioned private investigator work and all that, um, mm. I, I had a hard time looking at myself in the mirror because uh, here I was going to this job that paid well. Um, here I am having my house, you know, having a mortgage, um, you know, having the having having the two cars in the garage and working on, you know, getting getting the wife and the one point two kids. Um mm-hmm. and surrounded by other people growing up, you know, in school with other disabled people, interacting in this, you know, nonprofit, the support group with a ton of incredibly capable disabled people that just did not have the breaks and advantages that I had. And, you know, I got, I got to own that a key part of that advantage is, again, cis white dude that meets your stereotypical expectations of what autism is. That opened a ton of doors for me. That opened a ton, mm-hmm. especially, 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 especially um, where we talk about token roles. I was the person offered that token role a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're starting scratch from an organization that has not had a practice of doing, of being accommodating to actually having disabled people work for you out of the closet and have that, and, and have that real opportunity and be invested with real power to drive change at your organization. Uh, if you don't have that yet, you're going to be starting with somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And what's the difference between mm-hmm. that and a token? Um, and, and I would tell you, even with your best intentions, a lot of times that person is going to experience some degree of tokenism, but you got to have the first person mm-hmm. through the door somewhere. Um, it's true. Yeah. so, you know, it's, I, I, understanding what tokenism is, is crucially important, um, to bringing your workforce up to be more representative, but, mm-hmm. um, at the same time, it should not hinder you in um, trying to get your organization in order to where it is a reasonably safe space for somebody to hold a disabled identity, add guide practices and policy, um, and, 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 you know, you should never be settled for, oh, do we have the one, we have the mascot, we have the token. Um, but also be aware that you got to start somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. So that's been a really uncomfortable kind of um, dance in my own life is mm-hmm. the reality that a lot of those tokenized positions, if I turn them down, it's not like a more representative autistic person is going to be offered that. It's going to be, well, we tried. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be, well, you know, we we did try to have the uh, an autistic representative, and and nobody would do it. Well, um, 
it's it, it it's so it's it's a really it's a really tough balancing act. Um, and I you know I think that carries well outside of disability advocacy. That's that is something that has a ton of commonality with other advocacy and other marginalized groups all over the place. Uh, Are you looking for a way to recognize World Autism Month in a meaningful, actionable way? Foundations for Divergent Minds is a nonprofit organization rooted in the belief that all neurodivergent people should be able to thrive in the communities they live, work, and play. We are offering courses to professionals to provide a space to explore neurodiversity through a different lens while staying true to your field. Every course fee directly supports our programs tackling healthcare gaps for autistics of color, designing local community programs, and promoting safety for autistic people. We recognize that the fear of discomfort can be a big deterrent for many people, but that also discomfort is the place where growth comes from. So we created several courses aimed at offering this space to different fields of practice. One for teachers, educators, speech language pathologists, occupational therapists and counselors, and the other for behavior analysts. If you're unsure what steps to take to build a neurodiversity aligned practice, these courses are a great resource and co-instructed by professionals in your field of practice. For the Behavior Analyst course, go to FDM, that's F as in Frank, D as in Donald, M as in Mary, dot training forward slash response. Everyone else can go to FDM dot training forward slash implement. And now for a limited time, you can use the discount code BEHAVIORSPEAKS, all caps, to receive a 10% discount. Hope to see you there. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is abuse. That balancing act between you need to get to representation, you're not there yet, you want to try, and that's gonna that's gonna probably lead to you, you need to be, a you you as an organization need to be very well prepared for your need to grow and grow very fast when you take the step of bringing somebody in to make real change. It's gonna be a tough environment there in ways that you've never anticipated. Um, in the disability service field, you need to acknowledge that. Um, the potential for you to have a very negative impact on that person's health. Because coming into your existing organization, your baseline expectation is that that person is going to do things to people like them um, that you've 
you don't view as a problem, but the person is going to have to look themselves in the mirror at the end of the day after doing that thing that they know in their personal lives caused them harm. And if you're not receptive to that, if you're not um, ready to stomp the brakes and try to fix that and address that right there, um, you're putting that person in a incredibly difficult slash harmful slash traumatic environment. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I, 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 I'm with you on you know bringing in folks, absolutely. Uh, but you can you can totally see how it it can it can backfire because you can. I mean, I think I think your agency, you know, for lack of a better term, locked out with you being there first because you know they they happened to hire someone who already had some advocacy skills and knew how to advocate for themselves and advocate for others. If I were to hire somebody that didn't have those skills or didn't or didn't have or you know, certainly didn't have the confidence to sort of speak up or whatnot, you know, then that person may remain that per- only person for the rest of that company's life because that well, person's saying that per- you know that isn't looking to bring more folks in, right? Well, you know, I would agree with that, and this certainly gets to another point of um, most adult services and children's services. Uh, you all say you teach advocacy and you don't know what that means and you suck at it. I can be blunt. <laughs> um, you are yep. doing a tremendous failure to the key skill that is going to ultimately determine what that person's quality of life looks like. And, and you do a bad job. Mm. You don't understand the importance of it in a lot of cases. You treat it as a luxury and nice to have and you don't know how to teach it because mm-hmm. you don't have the experience. But we do live in a reality where not every person with a disability that um, may be interested in working for your organization, like you said, uh, has that advocacy background. So you need to go out and look for those people um, and yes. bring in people that are that have that advocacy background that are more aware of what they may be stepping into. You know, I would encourage you to, yeah. you know, Go find your biggest critic out there in your local mm-hmm. community or, you know, maybe maybe online. But go engage with that gadfly like Jeff Newman um, and, and start a conversation of and a vulnerable conversation of I want to listen to you. I want to do better by this. And I I mean it. I am prepared. Um I need to make my organization actually accommodating to get more people like you into this workforce. And I would do anything to get your help. Mm-hmm. Um, start there. Mm-hmm. Use the advocates to like, those are the only, those are the experts. that's going to help bring the rest of your organization along um, and are going to push you in the ways that you need to be pushed. Yeah. Um, so there's a, uh, there's a saying that goes around the broader uh, advocacy community, um, and it was originally coined uh, primarily um, looking at uh, experiences in uh, black advocacy and, and feminist advocacy. Uh, and it is the master's tools will never be allowed to dismantle the master's house. Yeah, that's coined by Audre Lorde. Um, and right. it is 
you know what it's what it's saying if if you're not quite quite catching um you know the the meaning behind the phrase the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house mm. is the system is not going to let you destroy the system right mm. um as long as you're working within the system people are going to put limits on your advocacy to preserve the system to preserve the power structure mm. and uh, organizations out there that are looking to provide better adult services, best way to do it is to employ adults with that lived experience. Uh, you need to be, you mm -hmm. need to do some serious work on how you will be prepared to allow your tools to be used to dis dismantle your house. Um, you need to be ready to do that. You need to be ready to take on change, change mm -hmm. that you're not comfortable with. Yeah. The better you do that, the easier it will get, uh, because you like when you do this right, um, your your staffing problems could very well go away. You make a name for yourself mm -hmm. as being that welcoming place for disabled people to work with. That's going to serve you better than any advertising dollars. That's going to be your competitive advantage. Imagine your marketing against all of your competitors when you can say that we support this community with this community. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and it kind of goes back. I think a lot of folks are not familiar with sort of you know, we could try and do another episode <laughs> just on this, but the his the, the history of this uh, of sort of adult services and going back to you know institutionalization yeah. even before even before that and and you know, but the short version here um, is you know you know folks got thrown into institutions which were you know, horrible awful places and if folks folks in the new folks certainly up in in in, in my neck of the woods will be familiar with. Um, you know, a lot of the reports around uh, residential yeah. schools for Indigenous folk and, and the abuses that occurred there. Well, institutions were, you know, quite similar, if, if, if you know, in terms of the abuses that occurred there. Yeah. And so, I'd argue it was working um, off of the exact same eugenics playbook for both. Totally. You know, same same model, exactly. Kill the you know, Indian, you know, save the and, man, and was, is, uh, what, was, what it was called in the United States with residential schools. Um, and, and, and there's even a there's even a connection to sort of you know, uh, concentration camps yeah. and, and the Holocaust and whatnot. Uh, uh, you know, Grant, again, who was on the podcast, told me that, um, you know, the uh, Indian reserves in Canada, at least, um, were modeled off. No, it was the other way around. Concentration camps in Germany were modeled off the Indian reserve sort of um, uh, design and, and, and sort of system in, in, in North America. That's that's what Hitler based his concentration camp design off of how we treated indigenous folks, you know, in North America back in the day. Well, the so, other really, really important point while we're talking about history, the other crucially sure, important yeah. thing to understand, especially for folks in the United States, um, United States, like when people think eugenics, a lot of times they think Nazi Germany, right? Um, yep. Nazi Germany imported the all of their eugenical philosophy from the United States. And in the United yep. States, the 
eugenics as the driving force behind how disabled people were treated, why they were forcefully sterilized, why it was acceptable to murder tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of disabled people uh, under the guise of plausibility deni- plausible deniability uh, neglect, um, and mm-hmm. why all why the legal structure was set up to strip disabled people of their rights, so they no longer had the right that every other Americans had to say no uh, and throw them in an institution for the rest of their lives, specifically for the purpose of uh, getting them out of society and preventing them from passing on their quote-unquote inferior genes. Hitler took that mm-hmm. from us. And he took that from us mm-hmm. because um, he was very worried that Nazi Germany was falling behind because Americans were so far ahead of them in dealing with their quote-unquote problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. for my state, um, one of the more notorious institutions in our state was you know, known as the um, Grand Junction Home for Mental Defectives. It uh, still exists now called the Grand Junction Regional Center. But in 1948, in the Denver Post, there was a pair of op-eds that were written, you know, on, on like adjoining pages. And mm-hmm. the first one of those op-eds in 1948 is saying that the right thing to do with the problem of all these people at Grand Junction Regional Center is to euthanize them. We should murder all of these people there. In the kinder, gentler, more humane, opposing op-ed on the other page was, no, we should not do that. We should just sterilize all of them. So this is 1948. This is, you know, the world's getting back to normal after World War II. All of these soldiers are coming home. Whatever myths you've been fed about that history, please do not accept the myth that we fought the Nazis in any way related to their treatment of disabled people. It's just not true. That continued, that dominated American treatment of disabled people. All the eugenicists gravitated into the institutions until the mid-1970s. We were dominated by eugenicists. And that is the system I work in now. I work in the direct, there's a direct lineage um, from where I work right now to that history, and I'm doing nobody a disservice by playing down that link and saying, oh, that was in the past, and I wasn't a part of that. Every field has a bad past. Um, and, you know, I, I've had a whole, I, I, I work with people on a daily basis that grew up in those institutions. The generation before me, that was their experience. They have stories. And one of the hardest things, I, I started in this field as a case manager, um, you know, working to with the person to make sure that, you know, help them select the services they want to live the life they want and, and making sure that the providers held up to their commitments on that. And, and you know, it, it will, um, I will never forget the moment it hit home for me, um, working that job and meeting with a guy that had spent his first 35 years in an institution and looking at me and saying, you seem like a nice guy. You have to understand that I will never, ever be able to trust you. The second secret word is 
restraint. Well, well, why not? Because you're a case manager. A case manager put me in that place. A case manager made the decision to send me there for the first 35 years of my life. You know, I talk about my bad quarter century, my bad 24 years. Um, these people lived lifetimes, and it is, you know, he was exactly right. Um, I, my job was the exact same job making those decisions. There's case managers at Judge Rottenberg's that are holding my same position that are making the decisions to shock me. We have to reckon with that. We can't, we can't ignore that. Um, so what were we talking about? Uh we're talking about this. I mean, uh, thank you for sharing the, those pieces. But we're we're talking about. Um, I, was, I was kind of leading up to sort of. I think folks need to understand history, um, yeah. and, and and that trauma piece, and 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 you know, and and, and the great example, you know, of the case manager. I remember I was I, when I was working in um, as a BCBA and in, in, in a group home a bunch of years back, and there was a guy. And I just. I'll leave his name out, but he was a lovely, lovely man. Um, just you know, so so gentle and so kind. Um, you know, he's probably in his sixties. Um, come out of one of the local institutions, yeah. been in there from age three to around age sixty or so. You know, and or for fifty or so, I suppose. Then he was in one of these group homes for the last sort of past fifteen years or so. And he, um, you know, no issues. He, I wasn't in there for him. He had no problems, but he walked around the 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 home and the community on a daily basis you know holding a a shiv a, a a wooden knife that he had carved um when he was living in the institution yeah. 40 years past um and he just walked around with, that was his you know that was his essentially his security blanket his you know his 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 protection you know he never used it he was never violent he was never aggressive there was never a case of that but he held on to this thing, um, and and it just it totally changed my you know this is it, it really kind of opened my eyes to looking at the history and and, and sort of those pieces um, because a lot of these folks that we're supporting you know any and, and, and unless they're you know maybe if, if they're maybe in their early twenties they might not have experienced all of all of that life but anyone sort of forty and up you know. Probably, you know, at some point, you know, uh, was was living, you know, in in one of these places, and 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 so everything you're talking about, you know, and, and you're sharing your own, you know, trauma as well, but everything you're talking about, you know, isn't considered at all when we yeah. kind of come into these programs. Um, it isn't it isn't a, a a point of sort of reflection for folks, and so you know when we get to sort of you know. Um, and and again, it goes back to the therapeutic alliance, the relationship, and the and the connection. And you have to have all that stuff in your brain when you're trying to make a connection with somebody. You know that that all of this, all these pieces occurred in their lives, and none of that. No, no one gets any teaching or training on that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, there's certainly some wonderful programs on working with folks with disabilities, maybe more for social. I think social workers in particular will tend to learn some of that history. Maybe um, in those programs on, on a level, at least at least at the school I went to, there was a there was a, a, a really good uh, 
sort of course on some of that stuff. But I even I never took it. I don't know how it went. Um, but you know, we're coming in here with, again with just our tech, our tools, and our technical te- technology and our procedures, you know, and expecting everything to work great. And um, um, and I don't, you know, I don't really know what the question was either. But I just think it's really important that uh, that, that 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 folks are considering this 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 this, this piece when they're when they're working working with adults. So I do want to acknowledge um, we talked about. Uh, indigenous people and, and some of that history a few times here. Um, you yeah. know, I where I live, uh, I live on stolen Ute land. Um, my that's where my house is built. It's uh, actually on Ute land that was stolen twice because, uh, you know, it was historical land. Um, the Ute signed a treaty with the United States government to preserve this chunk as their land. Um, and then it was stolen again uh, because gold was discovered. Mm. Um, and so mm. um, the Utes were coerced into uh, it was the message from the U.S. government is if you don't give up this land, we can't protect your safety. White people are going to shoot you. Mm. And if you kill one, if you kill one white person intruding, uh, trespassing on your land and mining gold, uh, they shoot at you. You shoot back. You kill one. We are in the. You're de- you now have a beef with the entire U.S. military. So do what you want to do mm-hmm. um, about whether or not you want to decide to sign this land up. Um, so mm-hmm. um, immediately to the south of me is um, the Southern Ute Reservation, um, the land that the the land that it, it's still plenty of that was stolen. It's a checkerboard reservation. Um, where in the mm-hmm. 20s, the United States government went and stole unused, quote-unquote, plots in there. Um, but that's that's the Southern Ute Nation down there a, a few miles away, and it's the one of two reservations uh, of indigenous people uh, remaining in Colorado. Um, the other one is right next to it, uh, the Mountain Ute, Ute Mountain. Um, and so, you know, that because of that proximity, um, and because of you know that cultural interface right there, um, you know, we doing advocacy work. You encounter plenty of indigenous activists down there, and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. sharing sharing that history. Um, the you people talking about their history and their experience with residential schools, mm-hmm. um, and you know disabled people specifically the. Uh, IDD community talking about institutions, um, and and mm-hmm. one of the eye-opening things is hearing those stories. And the number of times both of us are saying, "Your history is a lot like our history when it comes to this." You know, mm-hmm. don't don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not overgeneralizing. I'm not saying it's the same thing, um, but I am saying that when we look at that together, we see some commonality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I've got the same happening in my community, and I'll acknowledge the same. I mean, I live, I live in an area where I believe it's uh, there are four different uh, First Nations that actually lived as one First Nation before the colonizers came and and split them all up, and now they're four separate First Nations that have been all pushed away into different sort of parts of the area. The closest one to me is, is the Tulaman people. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and they've, they've been really working 
there's been some some good kind of reconciliation stuff been happening here, but some really awful, horrible racist stuff happening here, particularly during the pandemic. There was a lot of uh, a lot of discrimination against these folks. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in a small town like yours. I mean, I mean, uh, I, I live in a, in a rural area, um, uh, and but at the same time, we have uh, we also have a, a, a large sort of um, community living kind of organization. That's kind of the phrase we use for the, the organization you're working in. Um, that has the oldest one in the province because we received the first one of the first chunk of folks that 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 got essentially kicked out of these institutions. You know, they they, they called it you know uh, an improvement. I don't I don't know if it was so, but um, yeah. um, and so we've got a lot of these folks, a lot of these sort of senior folks coming out of institution, and we've got a lot of these elder elder indigenous folks, and so there's an interesting sort of you know, um, 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 cross-cultural kind of peace happening in these communities next to each other um, that that uh, that I think there's a lot of good learning to be done. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm sort of conscious of, of, of the time um, and some feedback I got on a recent <laughs> survey I did on the podcast about how long the episodes are um, <laughs> as we push the two hour mark with this discussion. Hey, we're at one um, hour so and 47 maybe we should... minutes. Fair Let, enough. Let's fair enough. I do. And I do have a, I, I do have, I do have a couple of two hour episodes out there. I'll have to look and see how many actually downloads those have. Maybe not as many. Oh, they're, they're, although they're excellent. They're excellent discussions and those the longer ones are the ones that oh come really on it seems to work when you turn um, it into a two-parter or a three-parter yeah, or a well, four-parter. That's there, there's there's that or there that or, or 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 potentially even just bring you back to kind of continue the conversation um i think um uh you know i think there's a lot of things wrong i think i think some to maybe kind of summarize some of the points that that that, that we've kind of talked about today in terms of good adult good adult care um is you know one you know is i think a big point that you made which i think is really important is getting more folks with lived experience yeah representation in these companies representation i think and i think that 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 is huge two you know the the importance of you know that that relationship that connection um uh, you know, and and certainly if if you're you know for for you sort of you know ABA folks that are going out there and doing your you know essentials for living assessments or your AFLs assessments and determining the skills that are lacking here and there and so on and so forth, you know, in these individuals, you know that that's not going to solve your problem. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not demeaning those assessments. I think they're important, and I think you know, and, and in fact, I, I like them. Compared to some of these other early intervention ones I don't. that just look at sort of but, your, your, well, relative to I think yeah, I think graded know, on um, a curve and, and, and created on a curve yeah exactly it's I think ugly, still, there, there's still a lot of work yeah a lot of work to be done there but at least, you know, at least we're moving from from fitting circles into squares and 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 making beads and stuff to you know yeah. to to some things that might be applied to real life they don't but it's still asked they don't address with the skills first that history uh, is, is yeah. what I'd say. They don't, they don't address any of the things we've been talking about. They don't address the history. They don't address the trauma. They don't address the systemic issues that, that I think the systemic ableism that's in our field and in many fields 
Um, um, and, uh, and, and until they do that, until they have that, and, and there's been a lot of talk about sort of making assessments more yeah. culturally sort of appropriate. And so if you're doing an assessment on a bunch of white kids. That's just not going to apply to, you know, black families yeah. or, or Latinx families or whatnot. It's going to be a different sort of strategies and different sorts of ways to approach that. Same thing, I think, when it comes to adults. I think we really need to be embedding, you know, uh, this history and this trauma piece, um, uh, you know, Trauma informed is such a is such a tag is such a, ta- a buzzword these days that you know I think you know maybe ten percent of the folks using it actually know what it means and um, and and some some just we've only scratched the surface today uh, of the potential traumatic experiences that almost every adult with a disability you'll be working with will have gone through yeah. um, and 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 none of that is sort of taken into account in adult services so i think that those that's a really important huge huge piece um there you know i don't know that we, you know i don't know that we prov- it, it's really hard to sort of provide you know simple answers on kind of what to do to improve care because the, the, the a lot of these are big systemic issues but i think uh, if you had to kind of send you know, a message beyond come back and listen to part two um, uh, to, to the folks listening on kind of, you know, what can they start doing yeah. differently today? What, what would you say to them? Well, um, yeah, Ed, this is one of the things I was meaning to get to. I mentioned I have a lot of hats yeah. that I do in my day job. One of those is, and this is another buzzword, is person-centered thinking. Um, and I am certified as a person-centered mm. thinking trainer. Um, and so, you know, I want to apply that to what you just said, because, you know, you heard me say that focusing on the skills and the missing skills is ass backwards, um, because it's not including the person and what the person's actual goals are and what they want to accomplish. It is a fully deficit-based model of this is what you lack, so obviously this is what you should learn, and, Mm -hmm. um... You know, for everybody out there, um, I want you to really think carefully about your own success in your own life. And was any of that success accomplished because somebody sat you down and forced you to work on the things they were bad at? None of you had that experience. You are successful because of your strengths. Mm -hmm. And so when you're focusing on skills... You are doing it wrong. You are doing it backwards. You're focused on what you subjectively perceive, uh, which is often really faulty and really flawed and really biased. Yours, your subjective perception and neurotypical norm reference too. Um, so yes. you need to break yourself of that. You need to get out of that. Instead, you need to be. You need to know that person. You need to build a relationship with that person and know what their hopes and dreams are and what they want to accomplish. And if you're hearing me say that and say, well, this person has no hopes and dreams, you know, this person, Mm -hmm. like, then you have not made the right relationship with that person. If you don't feel you can, you should not be providing support to that person. Get yourself reassigned Mm -hmm. if you cannot Mm -hmm. understand what that person you know even if it's just progress towards a life more fulfilling if you if you can't name that if you don't believe the person has preferences that way you're wrong and you need to it's Mm -hmm. it's a sign of a Mm -hmm. communication breakdown and please get out there Mm -hmm. um but you need to understand and you need to build the plan with that person 
of how you get there on your terms. You want to go accomplish this in your life. You know, maybe it's getting into a specific career. Um, you know, maybe it's getting into a specific relationship, um, having specific mm. people, whatever you want in your life. And, and obviously for a bunch of people, it's all of that. Build the plan. How are you going to get there? What skills do you need to develop? Um, but more importantly, how can we provide support to backfill the skills you may not currently have so you can still progress along to that? Um, hopefully progress along to that without an expectation that you'll develop any skills because you can access effective support mm -hmm. on your terms. Um, because mm -hmm. that's going to be a lot safer bet to success than, um, again, focusing on what you need to learn that we already know you're bad at. Find an end run around, mm. but you need to be focused on that person's plan for their life. You need to be respecting their autonomy and driving how that gets worked on and when and why and where and how, you know, I've said that a bunch, mm. um, but you need mm. to get in that mindset. Your mindset isn't to fix. Your mindset is not to, you know, develop these skills that normal people have, quote unquote. Um, you need to divorce yourself the whole way from that mindset and put yourself in the position of where does this person want their life to go and how can I support them? If skills develop along the way, that is great. That is wonderful. Um, but that's not the goal. The goal is the quality of life. That's the goal. That's what's been left out of way too many of these conversations is if I'm mm -hmm. truly mm -hmm. working for this person, then what does this person want? This person wants a better mm -hmm. quality of life than what they have right now. Whatever that looks like on their terms, mm -hmm. by their perception. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's key, the on their terms piece, because I think, and, and, and I don't want to digress because I want to wrap it up, but I think, uh, you know, a lot of the quality of life measures that we have out there, which is, you know, this is yeah. a subject of several episodes. Very, ago. very able. Um, um, exactly, and so I think the on their terms is that is that key piece. You know, and and, and don't don't worry worry about your metrics. It, 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 as long as you're doing things on their terms, you're you're going to get there. Yeah, don't try to yeah, shoehorn it into this very um, flawed concept of social significance. Um, yes. which often is construed to mean what I think is socially significant or should be socially significant to that person. You know you're on that track when I am doing this because this person told me to do it. Um, and please don't, mm. uh, please don't think that I'm leaving out people with communication differences. Even if they are not explicitly telling you, my goal is this and I want it accomplished this way, you are not off the hook you still have a responsibility to that person. I, as a case manager, hmm. wasn't allowed to say, oh, well, this person doesn't talk, so I have no responsibility to include them in their plan. I had every responsibility. I still had an obligation to make sure that people were following their game plan. And, mm -hmm. you know, because maybe I don't, you know, maybe they're not telling me in words, so the specifics are you know, unclear or a little more fuzzy. Every single person in the world gives us feedback on what they like and don't like. When we're paying attention, we get all of that. 
We know the stuff that a person wants to have more of in their life. And that's the same kind of roadmap to how do we get this person more of this in their life? And uh, in the same mm -hmm. token, how do we get rid of all of the stuff in this person's life that they have made their preferences clear they don't want in there? If that's a must, mm -hmm. how do we do it in a different way that works better for them? The third secret word is Colorado. I really reevaluate how much of that Wonder. stuff is a must. There's a lot of things you're tossing on that must learn list or must do list that simply don't have to be there. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. All, all, all to fill some squares and a little pillar mm -hmm. on an assessment. Yeah, I get you. A uh, really, really great message, Jeff. Uh, uh, I really appreciate uh, you know uh, your the, the 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 candid honesty uh, that you always bring to conversations, and 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 really a big reason why I kind of brought you on. You know, you you don't you don't shy away from the facts. I think that's really important for folks. Um, I have no doubt we'll do this again. Um, and continue this conversation and, and build on this conversation another time. Uh, there's, there's, I have several folks on, on, the, on my guest roster that I definitely want to have back multiple times, and you're definitely going to be one of them. Um, thanks again for being on. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I want to give you credit that um, I've seen you over the years on your journey. Um, to do better by this, and I know it's genuine, and I know you put a lot of work in. So thank you for that. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate that. Cheers. Have a good one. <laughs>